You are now listening to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with a special guest, and his name is Justin. Is now is it Bussell? Uh, it's uh, Bustle, um, but I'm actually uh, known as just uh, JB in the podcasting community. Uh, you do not want to go by the nickname JB. Yeah. Eh, it doesn't bug me none. I've been going by it for quite a long time now. Justin Bieber, man. You cannot be associated with that man. Uh, I, um, I don't know. I'm a little old for that. So that's kind of like, uh, you had it first. <laughs> yeah, definitely did. That's for sure. So tell me a little bit about what you do professionally. Um, are you talking like, uh, within the podcasting community? Or? No, what you do in your everyday life. Good, sir. Now, how did you dive into the welding business at least? Cause that's like, did you take that as like a trade school job? Oh, well, um, my dad got me started doing some of it with like car batteries and stick welding with um, jumper cables back in the day. It's like the old school way to weld. And then after that, you know, I did high school. I did my college. I got my two years in there and just a lot of field practice, man. Because I did like a lot with a lot of people don't understand about trade jobs is the fact that it's a never ending learning process. I mean, there's constantly new information being put out every single day. You're constantly learning something new. That job never seems to end. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, de definitely. And, you know, with, with, with every new machine, there's something new to learn. You know, we got our frequencies or amperage or pretty much any kind of, you know, you know, variable that's going to affect it. And like I said, every machine is going to be a little bit different. So anytime you do any kind of upgrading inside of a fabrication shop, it's a whole new learning experience. Did you find your fascination with welding came in because you had like, let's say an addiction for fire? No, um, realistically, like I got into it a little bit with my dad, just, you know, that's like a, a father son bonding time. But as far as like professionally, um, I literally got into it for the money, man. I um, have kids, have a family, and you need a decent job to do that. And you can't just go and have just a regular bullshit job when you want to support people. What's crazy is because you also said you deliver pizzas as well. So it's is that what even a trade job is not even really considered sustainable anymore? It's really nothing. Um, what it is is like I go in for – eight hours at a time and I leave with 150 bucks cash tips and um, I, I do it for the money. That's literally it. There's nothing to it. You drive to a location, you put it in your GPS, you leave there and hopefully somebody give you, you know, a little bit of cash. I know, but it's crazy because the whole concept of when I went to school, it was either seeing you need to get your diploma, you need to get your associate's degree to even get a, get a good sustainable job. And then it was like, you also need, if you could go a trade route, you know, get a trade job. I have a buddy who's in a trade job. Me and him did HVAC class together. He stuck with it. I did not. But he's making like $15 an hour. And he's like, I might need to pick up a second job too, just to be able to support a house and stuff. I'm like, holy crap. Like, when is it going to end where like people can kind of afford to live? You know what I mean? It's very, very difficult. Nowadays, you need to have a bachelor's degree. And then sooner or later, it's going to be you need a master's degree. 
Yeah, but you know, e- even with a degree and everything, a lot of that's just going to depend on like the amount of money you make. Is going to really depend on where you are. If he's an HVAC and he's only making fifteen dollars an hour, um, just to be a hundred percent honest and you know, kind of blunt, he's obviously working for the wrong company. Doing a lot of the welding stuff that I do, I can get jobs of it, you know, fifteen bucks an hour too, or I could bust my ass a little bit harder, do the same thing at a different place. And make closer to 30. He makes, I mean, he just bought like his fourth vehicle. So, I mean, I can't complain. The dude works every single day. He gets a lot of overtime and stuff. He works like weekends and holidays and stuff. But yeah, that's probably one of the best things about trade skills is, you know, you're going to have all that overtime like fucking crazy, man. And then holiday pay, like, I don't know about his place, but a lot of the places that I've worked for in my history, it's like a triple time for holiday pay. So, yeah, if you work, he, that's what he gets. I'm like, like in a 90 an hour. Yeah, he was making, uh, I think on holidays, he was making like 60-something an hour. And then he worked like like a regular shift, basically. So, he, you know, that's why he has four vehicles. Right, right. But a lot of that's going to depend on what he does and, you know, where he's at. You know, state to state's a little bit different. Like here where I'm at, and I live in Ohio, um, you have to be certified for HVAC. So you really can't do anything outside of it. But for what I do with welding, you don't technically have to be certified to work on anything. So I've already bought like my own machines and everything like that. And I do on-call welding as well. So anytime somebody in the local area needs something, they can give me a call and I can go out to them and fix whatever they have there. What are some of the types of things you have to fix? Well, the last thing I had to fix was a um, a fifth wheel. The steps on their fifth wheel fell off. So um, I went and uh, just literally, it's, it's just sheet metal for the most part. And just go through and reweld the entire thing, put it back together, and uh, you know, just try to stabilize it a little bit more. I threw some angle iron on it to really make sure that thing was going nowhere. What types um, of what types of torches do you use? Because I remember the one time I was in HVAC, I was in that class for three years, and there's acetylene torches in there. And if you don't turn on the oxygen and then whatever else is left in the tank, um, to the proper like, I guess degree, it can cause the tank to explode. Like you have to hear the whistling pitch in a torch. Yeah, well, um, the thing is, though, is oxyacetylene torches aren't used for welding. That's used for just cutting metal. Um, you can use a metabo as well. It does the exact same thing, but the oxyacetylene torch is going to be for, like, thicker gauge steel. I see, but um, see, the whole thing that scared me was the fact that something could blow up. You know what I mean? If I just turn a knob the simple wrong way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I usually keep my gas pretty high on any machines I'm running, especially, like, if I'm TIG welding and... I don't know that that fear really doesn't ever bother me doing aluminum. The only thing that really bothers me for any kind of fear is the simple fact that melting aluminum and breathing in those fumes causes cancer. So, and you know, we got big old warning labels on all of our packaging on our wire wheels and our filler rods. Do you think that's actually linked to that though? Like you can actually get cancer from that. Oh yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't be required to put a sticker on the box otherwise. I think it would be like one of those things like, oh, hey, this is just something that could happen. I don't know. Have you experienced anything like kind of dangerous in the field of welding? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had one job where we were doing a lot of industrial welding and we were uh, putting up some tracks. And these tracks were going to have um, pretty much being used for overhead cranes. So we'd have to go and um, get in the scissor lift, lift uh, in, you know, about a 14 ton I-beam about 60 to 90 feet up depending on where we were and do a like a staggered stitch weld across the entire thing to keep it in place 
And um, when you're about 60 to 90 feet up, depending on, like I said, you know, which job it was, um, this shit can get pretty fucking hectic and scary. You know, the, <laughs> the scissor lifts fucking wobble like a motherfucker. <clears throat> and you're like hanging halfway off the edge because you're trying to weld both sides of this item that you have sitting there. So it's... You're trying to weld with one hand and then you're taking Snapchat selfies in the other. It gets a little difficult. I get it. I get it. I, I, I've never used Snapchat. <laughs> I don't even know how. Well, you know what? How do you get from doing welding to delivering pizzas at night? That's a crazy ass like switch. Well, realistically, the factory I work at is two miles away from the pizza place. And I never even applied at the pizza place. I got a random phone call that they found my resume on Indeed and just wanted to see if I'd stop by. And uh, like, do you want the honest answer of why I took the job and everything? Or do you want me to just bullshit it? <laughs> I want to know the honest answer. Well, the honest answer is... Um, pizza? No, no, no. The manager of that location was a midget, and I thought it'd be really cool to work with a midget. And that is are you shitting me? Answer. Are you <laughs> shitting me? You really have got a serious. job just to be able to say you worked with a midget? One hundred percent. That is exactly why I took that job. Well, has it been a good pathway you've chosen? Um, I, I literally I go there. I do nothing. I deliver pizzas. I get cash. I don't do anything else. Yeah, but which do you have fun in, welding or doing pizza delivery? Because I feel like you get a delivery call at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's a bunch of stoners or a party. You're having some fun that night. Well, it, it all depends, you know. Um, realistically, I, I do enjoy welding. I, um, I get to sit in a booth by myself with headphones on, just jamming out while I just go to town building whatever they want me to build. And, you know, I'm a guy who just likes to sit there and listen to music, listen to podcasts, and uh, not have to deal with anybody else's bullshit. And that's one of the greatest parts about welding is like 99% of the time you don't have a boss, really. No one's really watching over you. You're just doing your own thing and pushing stuff out. How, um, so we're going to dive a little bit into your podcasting a little bit. So you do a podcast called Tales from the Podcast, but that's what's, is that, that focuses on the show Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So for people that don't know what Tales of the Crypt is, how would you explain that to them? Well, I guess it's all really going to depend on how old you are. With somebody like me, I'm um, a pretty big fan of comic books. So when you really want to get into like Tales from the Crypt, you know, it, realistically, it's a um, the original stories were all done in like um, 1950 to 1955, all released by EC Comics. And um, for those who don't know, EC Comics is the reason that there is a comic code this day because those comic books were so gruesome for the time that they actually felt the need to try to censor them. So, um, but um, with that being said, they were pretty much like one of the really big starts to horror anthologies back in the day. And then, you know, you skip, you know, 20 years and then that's when you start to get the first ever movie releases which you got like the amicus release of the 1972 and the um tales from the crypt in the 1973 vault of horror which are um they're older british films and um you know the crypt keeper that everybody knows that is voiced by uh, john kassir on the tv show is not a part of those but they actually go through and do some of the um comic book retellings you know for a feature but then once you get to like the 90s and everything, that's when you're going to get to like the more um, 
you know, the HBO series and the more punny version of him, which don't get me wrong, the, the original source material in the 50s actually had a lot of those puns and everything put into them. They added a lot to the TV show to really get it going, but it's literally just a horror anthology TV show. And it, it's it wasn't made to be like too scary, but still just on the edge to be, you know, on HBO where they can get away with like the nudity and the violence and stuff. So it was something that was just very enticing, especially to males in the 90s. And um, it, it got me for sure. And I fell in love with it at a very young age. And I've been a huge fan ever since. I think from my little understanding of it, um, only on the concept of I was kind of young when this show kind of came out. Uh, was on the fact that it's just based on the aspect that all people find fascinating coming from a storyteller. You know, they show a horribly, you know, deformed person known as the Crypt Keeper, and they have him tell this this story. And these stories seem to be kind of crazy and kind of ironic, but at the same time show a whole side of comedic horror to them, which I think brings a real fascination into the show. Yeah, and um, you know, keep in mind that not all of these were actually based off of Tales from the Crypt comics. They were based off the entire like EC like comic line. So you got suspense stories, Vault of Horror, the Tales from the Crypt, pretty much all of them that they were doing. But you know, they were just um, they were older stories, and you know, a lot of them, especially like the crime suspense ones and everything, they're like more of like a psychological thriller. But um, yeah, they they definitely did bring a lot of humor in the '90s that was not there in the original source material and just uh you know especially looking at the 90s i'm not sure how big of a fan you are of horror but in the late 80s and early 90s horror comedies were like the it thing and it was selling like crazy so obviously they had to take a comedic approach to really get a really good audience especially for that time because horror wasn't as big as it is like nowadays where everybody wants to go see like for instance the new it movie that was just released yeah i heard that was terrible i um i thought it was pretty decent <laughs> really i see the the problem is when you look at all the new horror movies that come out it's the same damn theme over and over and over again there's no originality to it anymore at least on the concept of there's always a bad guy chasing somebody, you know, there's not really, it's more about based on jump scares nowadays. Um, well, you, you got to look at it this way. You know, I, I try to relate it to music because that's something people can really understand with music. You literally 99% of songs have a four chord progression. How many times can you do those four chords before they're repeated again? You know what I mean? Eventually you have to just update old ideas just for the simple fact that, everything's already have been thought of before. You but know, even that, if you come up with a new idea on the spot, I, you know, I could probably come up with a movie that already had similar, if not the exact same ideas. I understand that, but I see like, there's a reason, you know, I think technology has kind of made people lazy on the concept of the factor that we're being less creative than people before. On the concept of, you look on your phone and you see something new that's being created and you're like, oh, well then if, you know, I'm never going to be able to create something new because everything's already been created. If you start thinking in that mindset, that's going to limit to what inventors are going to be out there. The whole concept of, do you think Neil Armstrong looked at going onto the moon and being like, oh, I'm not going to go on the moon because someone else is going to do it before me. No, that that's that's what creates laziness in a way. I think with horror movies, like I've seen a really good fucking horror movie, um, you know, 
like Lady in the Water, you know, M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I'm a big fan of his when it comes to some of those movies because they kind of tell a little bit of a story and ironic twist and events. Um, that well, movie, with that, that being said, you should love Tales from the Crypt because there's always that little twist there. And most of the time they did a pretty good job. Well, it's 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 difficult when you have uh, at least, a, you know, you're, you're creating a horror movie because you have to create kind of. I guess it's like a it's like a pistol whip. You want this un unforeseen pistol whip hitting you in the face. You want to be scared, but you don't want it to be obvious. You know, I've seen so many movies where I refuse to go to a horror movie nowadays because I'm sitting there like I'm already know what's going to happen. Like I'm just waiting for the jump scare. You know what I mean? Uh, it happened recently with M Night Shyamalan's movie, uh, the visit, the visit, or whatever it is where they visited the grandparents. Like you knew. There was something off about the grandparents. There's some crazy shit going on. It led the whole time. But there was a weird twist at the ending. I feel like the best way for a horror movie, like you don't see anything impactful. Like when AMC runs its awesome ass fear fest, like when it does Michael Myers, Jason, all these types of things, those are stuff that's like you see the classics. You know what I mean? Right. But even with the classics, you know, especially with the classics and you know specifically with the two you mentioned they borrowed so much from each other just in general just to get both series going halloween never would have had a halloween 2 unless friday the 13th came out and started pumping out sequels they did and jason never would have been doing some of the kills they did if they haven't seen those in the halloween films so even with you know those classics you know they still took things from each other and you know recycled the same material i see i just love the whole concept of a fact like you see like i don't i don't i only like the first halloween and i only like the first jason or friday the 13th i only like like the first ones they do because then they start redoing them like now there's halloween like what are we on halloween number nine like Uh, like, no 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 um actually the new halloween was actually supposed to be a um they um pretty much are going to it's um a number two it's a sequel to the first one they're disregarding all the other sequels Okay, well, I still consider those other sequels other Halloween movies. You know, well, that, that's it, fine, it, but you can't consider them other Halloween movies while watching the new one because the new one has nothing to do with those. The new one is just, you know, specifically a continuation of the original first film. Yeah, it's like taking, um, like they, they just totally forgot about the other ones and just went back. Like this was supposed to take place after this one. Right. But I yeah, think like I did the same thing recently with Leprechaun as well with uh, what Stephen Kiskansky did that one for us yeah. channel. And I thought that was pretty cool too, especially for the you know comedic value in that. Even I understand Warwick Davis. <laughs> See, I understand the whole concept of like spinning off of what happened in this movie rather than that movie. But you start to see that with like Fast and Furious too, like Hobbs and Shaw. That's supposed to happen like before the la- the latest Fast and Furious movie. You know what I mean? I'm like, we're starting to see the point where movies became so over, like just product, like productioned. And then to the point where it was like, we might need to go back to create like an alternate timeline. And I'm like, whatever happened to where you had no fucking wait for a scary movie to come out a couple of years later. And then there was a, there was a, there was like, let's say scream one and then scream two. When it starts becoming like scream seven, you can't go back and say Scream 2.5. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back it up a little bit. Well, you know, it's it's no different than Star Wars releasing the prequels then at that point, though. I just, 
it's it's hard because I feel like too much stuff nowadays when you get looked at it starts to bring it all back. And I understand what you were saying about like the four chord progression with music and all that, and it kind of gets redone over and over again. But I'm like, sometimes they redo something and it does die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the, the whole concept, like Teen Titans, all these animated shows that used to be way back in the day that were better back in the day, like 90s type stuff, like Johnny Bravo, all that stuff. They would never redo Johnny Bravo now. They would never redo so many different things just because of the fact it doesn't vibe with the culture anymore. But there Actually, was... I don't know if you've seen it, but you know, you mentioned Teen Titans. Uh, the new... Titans is actually fucking amazing, dude. And sure, follows the comic book line no freaking so much way. More. No freaking way, sir. I am a hardcore believer of Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. I understand now, I only understand it under one factor. It is meant for a younger generation. No, no. All right. Those cartoons, yes. But if you take the original source material where these are all from with the Titans comic books, no, you're, you, it, that's not true. Wait, you're talking about the original show mixed with the comic books? Well, no, this is a new show that's out, Titans. It says it's based off the Teen Titans. It's a live-action show. Oh, no, no, no. I thought you meant Teen Titans Go. I was like, wait a minute, the cartoon. Oh, no. I'm talking the the newest Teen Titans, the the one on DCU. There's a new Teen Titans out? Uh, Yeah, they just started season two, I believe, and it is fucking incredible, dude. Oh, shit, I have to check that out. Robin stabbed somebody in the dick with some scissors. Damn, dude! I have to check that out. See, no, you see, I thought you were talking about Teen Titans Go, that animated show. No, I'm talking about Titans on DCU. It's okay, streaming service for DC. I'm so glad we got that figured out because I was about to be like, hold on a second, everything you've just said is completely wrong. If you're saying that little kid show is better than the old Teen Titans, no, I've never even seen that. Neither my kids haven't even seen that. Good, they don't steer them that. clear from that, please. That is a horrific train wreck. Right. And even with the Teen Titans cartoon that you like, they didn't even get all the rights for all the characters. So they had to change a lot of the stuff, too. So it didn't even follow the original source material that well, either. I'm coming from the angle of I didn't see the original comic books. I was just seeing the Teen Titans. Like, that's the one that I was imprinted with, which is why I understand it with Teen Titans Go is something like my little cousin can watch. Right. Did you see the new, it was like a new TV series coming out. I don't know what it was called, but it had Brendan Fraser in it where he played like a NASCAR driver that got in like hit by a NASCAR, like one of the cars or whatever, and he got put into a robot body. Yeah, Doom Patrol. That's actually on the same uh, streaming service. And they uh, do little uh, spinoffs off each other where some of those characters are actually in the new Titans too. Yeah, the one ghost dude, the one the mummy dude is in it. Um he was on, I forgot what the original team was that Beast Boy was on, but uh, I like that type of stuff when they start bringing in universes together. Like, I think, I think it was terrible they did Batman versus Superman. Well, I didn't think it was terrible that they did it. I think it's terrible how they did it. And just, I don't know. That, that, that was a whole fucking shit show, realistically. Ben Affleck being Batman. Christian Bale is Batman, sir. No, Keaton, all the way. Okay, okay, I'll understand that one then. I think, <laughs> I think, I think uh, Christian Bale was probably my Batman only on the concept of how much weight he had to do in transformations for different roles from the machinist to playing Batman Begins to playing like, uh, who's the one dude, Senator? Which, what's, what's up? 
Did, was, did he wasn't he in that Cheney movie too? Yeah, he played Dick Cheney. Like he literally he does such weight transformations to play these roles where it literally shows you what someone will how far someone will go into something they're truly passionate about. Right. That's probably more unhealthy than my welding. <laughs> I'm sure that can't be good for your heart gaining that much Dude, weight. Yeah. He dropped down to 145 to play the machinist to the point where he looked like a Holocaust survivor. Then he bumped up to 196 or 200 something to play Batman Begins to the point where they made him work out in the movie to make him lose weight because he bulked up like a bear. And they did, it was so much like you see that guy and then you hear him on set um, like scream and cuss at some intern that didn't do something properly, didn't have some food set out properly. I'm like, I get why he gets so passionate about something because he sees anybody not taking their job seriously as a kind of a, a lash at him considering how much he has to go through to make sure that he is up to 100% performance. Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned him doing Batman and the Dick Cheney role in The Machinist, but you should also mention how great he was in American Psycho. That dude can play a psychopath was, yeah. like no other. I think he's got a little bit of psychopath in him, to be honest with you. Like Jack Nicholson when he's in The Shining, like you're telling me, here's Johnny. You know, like that, like you fucking know that Jack Nicholson's got a little bit of a dark side to him. Oh, yeah. But, you know, most, most of those method actors do, you know, Jared Leto's the same way. So what do you think about the new Joker that's coming out? You think that's a good role for that guy? Um, yes, I honestly think Joaquin Phoenix is going to do a really good job with it. And I think he's going to be the best Joker since Mark Hamill. Now, do you, all right, hang on a second. With, um, Joaquin Phoenix. Now I want to get your take on this because one of my favorite movies is by M. Night Shyamalan and it's called Signs. Right. Did you like Signs? Um, for an alien film? No. Uh, not really. It, it was a very mediocre alien film for me. It was not as good as like the fourth kind or anything like that, where it was like super suspenseful and really good. I don't think it was trying to play on the whole factor of aliens. I think it was trying to play more of on a factor of, um, family a little bit. Uh, it's where you know, I get that, but they, they really fucking went to shit with the water thing. You thought that water thing was crazy? It was just, it, it, it's an M. Night Shyamalan twist that was stupid. <laughs> like, at least in my opinion, like the water really. Like what, what was this other one where the, the plants were doing it the whole time? Like, come on, this guy does not well, come up awakening. with that great of That idea. plant one freaked me out though. That had me messed up for a little while. I was afraid to go outside because I thought I was going to, some plant or some ficus in my neighbor's house was going to make me jump in front of a lawnmower. No, no, that, that, that dude's just fucking nuts. I, that, I, he, he did better work when he was working on Stuart Little, in my opinion. What types of, um, are, what types of like horror movies are your favorite? Um, well, like one of my all time favorite horror movies is probably, um, Blood Diner. Um, but I'm into like a lot of the more gruesome stuff, like, um, Cannibal Holocaust is one of my favorite films. It's uh, one of the first ever found footage films, too. And, oh, man, that was a killer movie. And um, if you could ever stomach it, you know, I strongly suggest you check it out. It's crazy because, like, it, you come from a different generation than I do. Like, a horror movie for me that I really thought kind of messed me up a little bit was on the concept of, like, 
Uh, there's this Halloween movie where like a bunch of like little kids were like, they, I guess, died in some like bus accident or some dude psycho killer like ran them off into like this ravine or this like, uh, I forgot what, what you would call it. It's like a giant hole in the ground where there's like construction and all that stuff. They're like, like a quarry. And, um, people like they kept dying, getting murdered by these kids and stuff. And like, they had to go down to the quarry and find like their bodies and stuff and bring them to peace or whatever. It was, it was crazy for at least my age when I was watching it at like the age of 10. So that was like really impactful. Also Chucky basically messed me up for the rest of my days on the concept of myself, man. (laughs) I had Chucky doll in my room. And then immediately I saw that movie and I was like, why would you do this? Get this out of here. I don't want to see it in the house. I don't want to see it anywhere near me. I, uh, I, I have a very, very strong love for the Chucky films, even some of the newer ones and they get pretty fucking cheesy and I get that, but I love that doll, man. Even though I don't like dolls anymore, period. Like I'm scared shitless of them. You will not see me in a room with dolls, but Dude, it freaks you out when you see a woman that has like 50,000 dolls sitting on like a cabinet. I'm like, oh my God, like, don't you ever feel like those things are watching you? Like all their heads just turn? Well, I, luckily for me, I stay away from women like that because I assume that there's something really fucked up with somebody who wants that many dolls in their house. Especially if they own a lot of cats. It's kind of like a sign to get away. Right. Uh, so yeah, do you try and incorporate like with your kids do you try and show them like the older horror movies before they see the newer stuff oh yeah like my my eight-year-old she is a huge fan of the original nightmare on elm street which is really cool and now uh, my three-year-old i've been starting her off on horror already but we're doing it like I, mean, I go about horror a different way i usually start off with like scooby-doo and tales from the crypt keeper which Tales from the Keeper was the cartoon from the 90s that was based off of the show in the comics. So it's like a cartoon version of the Tales from the Crypt show. And my three-year-old fucking loves that stuff. In fact, um, she's recently got into like playing the PlayStation and stuff. And she likes playing like the zombie games and stuff where you're shooting all the zombies and shit. And yeah, my kids are really into horror and it has to be my fault, realistically. Well, it's crazy because, like, when you start off on a cartoon of a horror series, it's a hell of a lot easier to dive into the horror realm doing that first. Like, starting them off on Scooby-Doo and starting them off with, like, Tales from the Crypt Keeper, like, the cartoon version, it has a lot less impact than watching, like, a live action. You know what I mean? Right. But, you know, keep in mind, my eight-year-olds went from all that stuff to Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I actually took her to see It and, like... She loves horror, dude. It's uh, It just runs in my blood. Do you like getting freaked out or do you like just kind of like, do you even get scared seeing a horror film? I honestly have been not been really like scared from a movie in a very long time. Occasionally a jump scare would get me, but I don't really count that as being scared because a jump scare is just realistically a cop out for bad writing. Um, like a real good movie that's going to like scare me would be something closer to like Shutter Island or session nine something that's a very very heavy psychological thriller yeah man that was a mind screw you're trying to watch shutter island you have no idea what's going on there's so many different things that's making your brain go through a freaking loop right and then with a lot of those movies though they leave them open 
they don't really tell you every little thing that happens and they keep that mystery there. And to me, that's what really makes a really good horror movie is when there is not everything's explained. And I think that's one of the big things that really enticed me and got me really into the Halloween franchise too, is for the simple fact that they never explain what's with Michael Myers and how he is able to do everything. They, you know, they, they hint at things, you know, who is he possessed or is he just like superhuman? Like what the hell is it? But they never really go into detail. And the same thing with most of the Friday, the 13th movies, except for the first one. Plus the song they play for Michael Myers, man, whenever you hear that ring, you're like, you're freaking out, man. It literally brings goosebumps to your skin when you even hear that go off. Well, John Carpenter actually did a lot of music before he did the actual you know, film. He was in a band called Oingo Boingo with um, Danny Elfman, and uh, they did a lot of synth music. And even like nowadays, John Carpenter does a lot of the scores for the newer Halloween movies too, and still goes on tour and does live shows. I think it comes to the concept like when October rolls around, there's a weird thing in the air where it starts to turn into the horror vibe. You know what I mean? People start getting their Halloween decorations out. It makes me wonder why October is the year for that or the month for that. Well, when you're talking Halloween and stuff, I guess you can really take that back to like what, like like a Mexican culture type thing that and all that stuff but you know for me i don't really have a month or anything i decorate with halloween stuff you know after halloween comes around and all everything starts going on sale i stock up for the next year count chocula bro you gotta stock up on the frankenberry and count chocula when that shit comes in stores in october i don't know what you're talking about they sell count chocula all year round where uh, well, I don't know where, like, what stores are by you, but we got a local grocery store called uh, Meyer that has it. I'm telling you, I've been waiting for Walmart to pack that son of a bitch for months now, and it has not happened. <laughs> and if you want some really cool horror branded cereals, go to Fye's website. I'm not sure if they still have any available, but I know that uh, they have the Garbage Pail Kids cereal and the Child's Play cereal there, which were both pretty cool. I bought a cereal there that was known as Booty Flakes, and it was, it was known as Booty O's. And let me that tell you. It doesn't sound like it would taste that great. It was literally <laughs> like, it had a bunch of like big butt girls in the front, and it said Booty O's. And then it was just like Cheerios that were purple. I was like, this was a waste of like $20. That's, that's definitely different. And I've never seen that, but realistically, I pretty much stick to all things horror. I kind of. It's hard for me to get into anything else. I think it's crazy because like when Halloween rolls around, I know that vibe that comes around. Like when it gets into the second week of October, you know, decorations are getting set up. Our town gets set up a little bit like with ghosts and like kind of toilet paper on the trees and kind of like decorations. And then it's when the cereal comes into play. Like when I was a kid, I mean, one of the most impactful and most memorable moments of my life were going trick-or-treating with my friends. Yeah, yeah, I um, I, I guess I can understand that. I I did all the same kind of stuff and everything, but luckily, like m- my dad was into horror stuff, so like I was just watching horror movies right from the start all the time. That's pretty much all I really did growing up. I I mean, those types of moments though, like I, I think no one understands what it means to truly be scared anymore. You know, we figure like, oh my god, like I'm not gonna, I, I'm I'm worried about what this next bill is gonna be. Like, sometimes you need to sit yourself down at least 
turn on like some dim lighting. I mean, environment is really everything when you're watching a scary movie. Like if you're watching it with the lights on, you're doing it wrong in the first place. Um, But like now the stupid horror movies we have now is Final Destination. I'm like, how is that even considered a horror movie? Just the rather the fact of like, there's just a bunch of sick deaths. Well, that's pretty much, you know, the same thing with Hostel, Saw. That's pretty much what horror turned into for a little bit there. But, you know, what do they call it? Like that torture porn? And it's just one of those. I loved how you said torture porn and then you waited for me to tell you what the actual name was for it. Like, I fucking looked that up. Well, well, I (laughs) I'm actually a little bit sidetracked. I'm sitting here um, doing this with you and... I got my three-year-old next to me on my laptop, and I was looking over at her, seeing what she was messing up, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I just, I find it so fascinating, like, because it seems like the one thing that freaks people out anymore is the fact if you have a person that has a serious mental disorder, because that's something that can be realistic, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's definitely realistic, but nowadays, everyone would get butthurt over something like that. that yeah, person- like... Like the purge, the only reason people like that is because of the whole fact like it, you're you're able to do whatever you want, kill whatever you want, and do this. I feel like deep down people are becoming like to the point where they're really really pissed off, where they're at the point where like something like that's gonna bring like a type of dopamine to their brain where it kind of connects them. Like maybe they're not gonna go shoot up a thing, but they realize if everything was illegal or legal at one point, they would be able to do a lot of shit that they think about doing. Yeah, the the whole idea behind the purge is kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but like, you know, just the simple fact, like, like going for that, it's like it's it's all pretty much to me is like a rip off of um, Battle Royal, and you know, with Battle Royal, it's it's you know between like the Purge, Battle Royal, Hunger Games, it's all kind of like the same similar concept. There's like one time throughout the year where they're allowed to pretty much, and when it comes down to it, you know, it's all about the killing. And, you know, you know, Hunger Games was like a less violent version of it. But like Battle Royal is pretty much like one of the original versions of that whole storyline. And it's about like Japanese school kids who are doing like the exact same thing, except they have collars on their necks and their heads are blowing off and they have like real weapons and everyone's dying left and right. But the whole idea behind that concept has been around for like a very long time, a lot longer than people realize. But Well, what's so fascinating about horror movies is the concept of there's always been kind of like this deep needed like kind of fearful thing that we all enjoy you know what i mean like the whole fact that there used to be folklore that would scare children into behaving good like you know there's a monster under your bed there's a whole boogeyman in your closet i'm like maybe that boogeyman wants to teach me about the birds and the bees okay maybe he wants to be a relatable guy maybe he doesn't want to scare me and eat me and make sure i don't have a life anymore you know what i mean right yeah i i could see that and I don't know. Horrors, it's very subjective. So it's really weird to sit there and really have like a, a full, like real idea behind it all and a real reasoning, at least for it. Have you ever thought about making your own horror films? Um, Actually, on the topic of that, my first DVD came out just about last week where I was in a horror film. Now, were you a character or were you like directing it? I was a, um, it was a horror anthology film. It's uh, actually called Paranoia Tapes 4, Kennel House. And uh, it's uh, released through Shaman Radio Group. And uh, you can get the DVDs at like uh, Family Video and Barnes and & Noble. 
But um, I do the wraparound segment. So like in Creep Show and stuff like that, where they always cut back from like one of the skits into like the main story, but round it off. I was that wraparound character that combined all of the stories. Wow. I see like, do you like being kind of the storyteller or like kind of the narrator in a way? Um, I, um, I just like being involved in horror projects realistically. Um, I, I believe I also got a producer credit on that one too, but it's like, I, I'm just so into the whole horror community. Like anything that I can do to get involved and really get my name out there more within it is something I'm going to do. Even if it's, you know, on like the, uh, independent scale where you're not really getting paid or anything, it's just something I really love and really enjoy. And I really admire that about you because a lot of people steer away from things that can tend to be scary. When I would think that things that scare us, we should look at those things as something that need to be looked at a little bit more heavily. Sometimes a nice scare is what's really needed. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And you know, a good scare is always, you know, even if you just try to get past the fun of it and everything, I think everybody deserves a real good scare every once in a while. It's It definitely helps you grow as a person you know figuring out what scares you what makes you tick if you will so if you could say anything about the next kind of prediction of horror movies in the next 20 years do you think it's going to be good or bad um i i obviously i'm gonna have to go with it's gonna be like a good mix of both of them you know like we're obviously gonna get a lot of bad we're gonna get a lot of good um as far as like what's actually going to be coming out, like 20 years is a pretty big time frame, so it's really hard saying. You know, I, I personally would like to see more like fantasy horror type films come around, um, but you really never know where everything's going nowadays. But you know, with people like um, what's his face, uh, John uh, Kaczynski, like he, doing a great job doing what he's doing. Um, it, there's a lot of really good directors out there pushing stuff out but you know like you know a lot of it is indie movies too and i i got a buddy of mine he's working on funding for his third film it's a volume of blood great movies but people don't know about a lot of these indie horror so you know because they look towards the mainstream well, they only see what's on the commercials, which, you know, I, I understand that not everybody knows how to find some of these films and figure out how to get in touch with some of these people. But realistically, like, once you can actually figure out where to go, where to find these, there are so many good horror movies out there that, you know, people just don't even know exist. I think a lot of people need to look at like sometimes a movie that doesn't have any commercials or advertisements for it can sometimes be that one that slip, slips in through like the horror movie films and becomes something like you're like holy shit why was this not produced more? Uh, I, I I don't I don't know with with something being produced and everything I think that kind of really fucks with a lot. Like, sure, having more producers and everything like that is obviously going to give you a bigger budget and, you know, get you more advertising money. But you got to look at the other end of it. Dude, I'm telling you, some of the most scariest movies I've ever seen have been independent movies that have not had commercials for them. One that got into the movie theaters where I was like, why aren't people talking about this? Why is this not like something people are seeing on TV to go see? Because that movie scared the living shit out of me. 
Right. Yeah, you, you, exactly. But like some of those are so good. But then again, if you look at some of these directors that we have out now, they started off doing stuff like that. Like, um, or what was his face? Uh, Gelmorda or Del Toro. The guy, he did like Shape of Water, Pacific Rim, those movies. If you go back in his history, he did Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth. The guy did some really fucked up horror fantasy films that were incredible. And they weren't overly produced. And having less producers on something keeps less hands off of the project and keeps it closer to what the original creator or director is trying to shoot for. Yeah, it's the true aspect of why they created it in the first place. Right, right. I think like a movie like Exorcist, those types of movies, and you hear how messed up the cast was after that. Sometimes there's something about a dark horror film that you, when you find out the backstory to it, it even has even more impact to how that movie is. Right. You say the same thing about um, Poltergeist in that sense. Yeah. Those types of movies, man. And then you know what the the original mummy stuff, everyone died. It's, 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 some of those stories to me, they're just really interesting. And some of it I think is more coincidental than anything else. But some of it does make you wonder. The Poltergeist one's definitely one of the bigger ones for me, just for the simple fact of how young some of these people were that passed. Well, man, Justin, it's been awesome talking to you, dude. I want to give you here a minute at the end to kind of plug your podcast so people can see the tales from the crypt. And that's honestly going to inspire me to watch the show, at least try and find it on Amazon somewhere. Oh, you will not be able to find it streaming. There's uh, been so many problems with people trying to get the rights for uh, the EC comic stuff. Just um, because like um, the the Gaines family um, start off with like you know Bill and Will, and um, you know they've passed by now. Um, Mad Magazine was ran by the same company. They've lost that as well. Like um, they they just they're not giving the rights away. Like even they tried to do a reboot of the original Tales from the Crypt series just a couple of years ago with M. Night Shyamalan actually heading it and doing it, which would have been really, really cool. I'm not sure if they would have had John Cassier come back to actually voice the Crypt Keeper or anything like that. But this is the simple fact that they tried was cool, but they can't get the rights for it. The Gaines family that actually owns the original source material, from what I've been told, um, they're not really letting it up either. So the chances are that you will not see it on streaming ever. And, um, you know, luckily, though, you can go to Amazon and purchase the entire box set of all seven seasons for like 60, 70 bucks. If you find it in a store, it's going to be like 130. But I meant like I could probably find it online for free. I guess you can YouTube them, but then you get stuck with YouTube quality. You know, I think the, we're talking I, about the legal sites here, Justin. I met the other ones that we don't like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, to, to each their own. Myself, I um, not only do I watch and love a lot of these movies, but since I do a lot of these independent stuff, and you know, being in an independent movie too, you start to realize that these people that do a lot of this pirating and everything else. They're really just fucking over the people on the small end. Well, when a show's been kind of off the air for 50-something years, I feel like the fact is I probably should just be doing them a service by just being able to find their content. 
Well, you know, like I said, to each their own, but, you know, there's a lot of people that still get paid royalty checks from that. That didn't have a lot going on in their, you know, history beforehand. And, you know, Tales from the Crypt, it's a bigger one. So, you know, like I said, it's all on you. But with a lot of these indie films, you're really like people really hurt these directors and creators by pirating their films, especially these indie artists that are really trying to get their names out there. And they're only going to be able to make their next movie based on their sales. And if everyone's pirating these movies and everything, then the sales are not going to look good. And the next thing you know, you're going to be sitting there dying and dying for like a sequel. And you're never going to be able to get enough sales, even though 5 million people saw it, but they downloaded it illegally. That's true. That's actually happening with a lot of rappers and types of artists nowadays with the fact that you can just amazingly get Spotify or something on your phone and hear the song rather than buying the original album. Right. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much that actually hurts some of these people. You know, my, myself personally, it, it's not hard to save up 10, 15 bucks at a time, buy a season, buy a movie and watch something like that. You know, I understand shit gets tight for people and everything. But I'm a strong believer in supporting what you love. If you don't support what you love, you're not going to get more of it. Well, I appreciate you coming out and doing the podcast, Justin. It was cool to actually talk to you about something that I don't know a whole lot about when it comes to horror films. Like, you know, the original stuff. I only know what I've kind of been mainstream nowadays. Yeah, I've, uh, like I said, I, I've been a huge fan since I was little, you know, everything from child's play to fuck even like Ernest Scared Stupid, man. I'm a huge fan of it all. Anything that's on the creepy side is where I'm at. Well, I appreciate you doing the podcast, man. And stay tuned for another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.